Chapter 15 this morning, Romans 15. Holiday weekend, I know there's a couple county fairs going on, so I'm glad you could make it out with us this morning. Romans chapter 15. Hey, I also just want to let you know, too, we're hoping to start up in October our small group studies again. So keep that in the back of your mind. This will be the third time we've done this. And uh, hopefully get a sign-up sheet going on here sometime towards the end of September. So just keep that in prayer. should hopefully be a wonderful blessing. And just like I said, please continue to keep that in prayer as well. Hey, let's pray. We'll get started. Heavenly Father, good to be here this morning. Thankful to be here this morning. What a beautiful morning. Uh, just a time to get together and worship you and fellowship. And I just want to pray also you prepare our hearts for communion that's going to be coming up here at the end of the service, Lord. You just be with our hearts that would always be focused on you in all ways and all things. In your name, amen. Alrighty, Romans 15. Continue our study here through the book of Romans. We're going to do verses 22 through 33 here today. And that puts us in good shape for next week to uh, possibly finish up the book of Romans. Really looking forward to chapter 16. Chapter 16 is a very personal letter, personal chapter, I should say, where Paul mentions by name all these different people. And you see the closeness and the relationship he had with them. And that will hopefully really bless you. I'm looking forward to that. But today's lesson is a very practical lesson. This is what the body of Christ is supposed to look like in action. A lot of times we throw around these kind of ambiguous terms. As the body of Christ, as Christians, we're supposed to love each other. We're supposed to help each other. We're supposed to serve each other. You know, be there for one another. Well, what does that really look like in practicality? I can remember years ago doing counseling with a couple and telling the uh, husband, you know, that he was supposed to love his wife as Christ loved the church. And there was this ongoing theme, you know, you're supposed to love your wife, love your wife. And finally, one time he said to me, he goes, I don't know what that looks like. He goes, I understand that, but what does that look like? And what does it really look like to love your wife? What does it really look like to be part of the body of Christ and to love the body of Christ and to serve it? Well, here, what you see in Romans 15 is some practical examples of what they were doing 2,000 years ago to really be the body of Christ and to serve and love each other. So let's go ahead and read verses 22 through 33, and then we'll come back and we'll break this down. For this reason, I also have been much hindered from coming to you, but now no longer having a place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come to you. Whenever I journey to Spain, I shall come to you, for I hope to see you on my journey and to be helped on my way there by you. If first, I may enjoy your company for a while, but now I am going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For if the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister to them in material things. Therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed them to this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain." But now I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. And may the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Now, if you're a note-taker there, there's a section in your bulletins where you can write some of these points down. The first aspect we see of being part of the body of Christ is the idea of helping. Help me as I help others. Now, this could be financial, this could be time, this could be labor, we don't know. But look at Paul. Paul in verse 24, For I hope to see you in my journey and to be helped on my way there by you. Paul says, hey, I'm going to head to Spain. As I head to Spain, I'm going to swing by Rome. Would you guys help me as I'm traveling to Spain? Help me. But also help me as I help others. Because look ahead to verses 26 and 27. There's this group from Macedonia and Achaia that collected a donation to give to the poor that are in Jerusalem. 
See, what had happened is, if you go back to the beginning of the book of Acts, when the day of Pentecost happened, and all these thousands of people get saved, and they're all right here in Jerusalem, well, resources were tough. Some of these people didn't have a support system. Some of these people didn't have jobs, etc. So what happened in the beginning of the book of Acts is you see the church really coming together to help each other out. Well, as the New Testament goes on and as time goes on, you see the church at Jerusalem not being as strong as it once was. And so now other churches, Macedonia, Achaia, are now helping them out. And this is the way it is. Help me as I help others. Once again, it could be financial, but it could be just time. It could be just labor. You may come home from work and you have time. You may be blessed and skilled that you can go help repair things. Then you go, hey, I'm going to go over and help this widow out. I'm going to go do this. What a blessing. It could be helping somebody out by encouraging, by calling them, by being there for them. Whatever it is, help me as I help others. Just practical Christianity in action. Which takes us to our next point here. If you're a note taker, verse 25. The church helped each other. But more specifically, the church, verse 25, ministered to one another. Now, the word minister just means to serve. We've mentioned this many times before. We look at the term minister now to mean pastors. Pastors are ministers. From a biblical standpoint, we're all called to be ministers because it means we're all just servants. So we're supposed to minister to serve. How? By praying, by giving, by helping, by encouraging. Get out there and serve. Love the body of Christ in those practical ways. What does that look like? Jump back just a couple chapters to Romans 12. Romans 12. Start here in verse 4. It says, For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So we are a body of Christ. Many members, but yet we're combining one individual purpose here to fulfill the glory of Jesus Christ. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. In our ministry, let us use it in our ministry. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Take these gifts, put them into action, and being part of that member of the body of Christ. It's difficult to do. It's really difficult to do. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, he even goes one step further. He talks about how we're a body with many parts. Because we're not all eyes, we're all, not all nose, we're not all ears. We also can't look disdainfully down around the toes. Every part has its purpose. Every part of the member of the body of Christ is there. And we're supposed to, if you're still in Romans 12, look at verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Being part of that body of Christ. One of the things that I love that we do out here, and if you uh, quick plug, uh, the prayer calendar for the month of September. It's back there on the back table. You take those home, put that on your fridge, something different to pray for each day. And one of the things that we're doing on Wednesdays, I believe it is, for the month of September, is praying through the directory. I love it when we pray through the directory. This idea of these people that you don't know, and you see their pictures, you see their faces, and you're like, okay, I'm still going to pray for them. It's being part of that body of Christ. See, so often when you see believers, we, we get to what we do, this solo Christianity thing, this island Christianity. And really, we're all connected. We're all coming together. So therefore, when someone needs a hand or they need this practical help, I can go minister to them. I can pray for them. I can give. I can help. I can encourage because I'm part of the body of Christ. So when I see them, we go over to them. Someone's got a new baby. You go over and see that new baby. doesn't matter if the new baby's cute or not. You still say, hey, congratulations. Somebody has a surgery. See, you know, real quick. Somebody's going to come up to me after the service and say, all new babies are cute. 
I'm going to say, no, they're not. Because I've seen lots of new babies. Some of my new babies weren't necessarily cute. I'm just telling you that right now. We still rejoice with those who rejoice. We weep with those who weep. We love. And part of that is getting involved and ministering and helping and encouraging and doing that. Once again, what does that look like? For everybody, it's different. Maybe it's for you. Your ministry is dropping people cards. It's calling them. It's praying for them. You know, there's a great example. There was a widow um, at the beginning of, I believe it's the book of Luke, that says that she ministered in prayers and offerings. That's what she did. Her ministry was a ministry of prayer. What a great ministry. Maybe you're handy. You can go help people. There's aspects of doing this, of helping and ministering. But when you see one of the main things the church is doing, though, is this idea of praying. Look at verse 30 here of Romans 15. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers. Strive together in prayers to God for me. The idea of getting together and praying, it's amazing. When you look in the book of Acts, they're always praying. They're always praying. They start out always praying faithfully together as this group of body of Christ always praying. You know, quick plug, I love the one thing we're going to do here at the end of the month, Aaron and her, the ladies group. A group of ladies just get together and they pray for each other. How beautiful is that? Back in July, we had a prayer time out here at church. What a wonderful time it was. We just got together, circled up the chairs, had communion, had a little bit of just acoustic worship as ever the the Lord led, and just prayed. Just the body of Christ coming together and praying. I remember one of the first Wednesday nights I ever taught was out of 1 Samuel. And there's this really powerful verse in there that says, Far be it for me to sin against the Lord by not praying for you. 1 Samuel 12, 23. Think about that. Prayerlessness is sin. Prayerlessness is sin. We throw this phrase out all the time in Christianity. Hey, I'll pray for you. Then we get home and we think, what? You know, one of the things I've been doing, I've been doing for years, is I carry around one of these little notebooks. And if somebody comes up to me and there's a health issue or something going on, write it down, pray for it. And throughout the week, I'll use this as my to-do list of what's going on. Who do I need to contact? Who said they're having a tough time? Who said they have a procedure coming up? Because I tell people it's all the time. If I say to you, I'm going to pray for you, I don't say that lightly. For me to say, I'm going to pray for you, that's the best thing I can do for you. See, in Christianity, we have this little phrase, say, the least we can do is pray. Actually, that's the most we can do. Think about that. Prayer is going, according to the book of Hebrews, boldly before the throne of God. Prayer is you going before God the Father, the creator of the universe, and laying down a a worry, a fear, an anxiety, a need, you name it. And you're laying this down before the feet of God and saying, Lord, I don't want to carry this burden. I don't know what to do. I need wisdom. I need guidance. I need direction. That's why Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5, never stop praying. Never stop praying. Now, that doesn't mean we're always walking around with eyes closed, hands folded. You know that. But what it means is there's constant communication between us and the Lord. Something comes to your mind, I give it over to the Lord. I'm a little concerned about that, I give it over to the Lord. Hey, that family came to mind. I think they said they had a surgery this week. Lord, I give that over to you. This constant communication. And it's work. Prayer is work. It it is fascinating. We have developed this idea that prayer is, oh, let's just get together and pray. If you look throughout the Bible, God always presents prayer. It's a labor-intensive The word that Paul uses here in Romans 15, verse 30, strive together with me in prayers to God for me. That word strive, some of your Bibles say struggle. It's it's called a working oneness. We're working together in prayer. And I'm telling you, sometimes after a prayer meeting, you can feel drained spiritually, emotionally, physically. But it's also one of the most powerful things we can do to say, Lord, I give this over to you. 
So what do you see the early church doing? You see them helping each other. Practical helping. Time, labor, finances, I don't know what it is, but it's practical helping. Then you will see them also ministering, carrying a spiritual notation here. Praying, giving, helping, encourage, edifying. You see them cemented in this with prayer. Now the last one's kind of interesting. Verse 31. That I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. Paul says, would you pray that the people in Jerusalem would be accepting of this gift? Now, why would Jerusalem not want to accept this gift? Because they used to be the big dog. Now they're the little dog. They used to collect donation to give to other people, and now people are collecting donations to give to them. Part of being the body of Christ is also accepting. It's accepting when you need help. It's accepting that you need help. There's a guy out here at church that has a shirt, and it says, humble and proud of it. Now... I was hoping he'd wear it today, but he didn't. I'm not going to call him out. But humble and proud of it. You ever seen somebody prideful about being prideful? You can be prideful about being prideful. You know, it's really hard for me to ask for help. That means you're prideful about being prideful. You admit that it's hard for you to ask to help, and now you're proud of the fact that it's hard for you to ask for help. Pride is an awful thing. God actually calls pride an abomination. It's just an awful thing. Pride is what caused Satan to fall if you go read Isaiah 14. Pride keeps us from saying, I need help. Pride keeps us from saying, you know what? I'm really struggling with this project at home. I bit off more than I can chew. Can you help me out a little bit here? Pride keeps us from saying, you know what? My wife and I are growing farther and farther apart every day. Now, we put on a good act, but things are struggling. I think it was Spurgeon that said this, that a broken clock tells the correct time twice a day. And that idea that we can show up in church on Sundays or Wednesdays, and we can fake it for an hour or so. But really what happens, it's like a piece of fruit on the vine that's just slowly withering and drying up. Because we're going backwards instead of forwards. Boy, it's humbling to say I'm not as strong spiritually as you think I am. It really is. But just listen to these verses out of Proverbs. For note-taker, Proverbs 11.2, When pride comes, then comes shame, but with the humble is wisdom. There's a humbleness in saying, you know what, i got some big decisions going on. Would you help me pray with me to help me make these decisions? One of my favorite verses in the Bible is wisdom. Uh, wisdom is found in the counsel of many. You know, I, I, I thoroughly try to use that verse. I find godly people that I know care for me deeply. Here's what I'm thinking and praying about. Would you give wisdom in this situation? Proverbs 13.10, by pride comes nothing but strife, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Pride brings strife. Pride is that I can do it on my own. I don't have a problem. I can fix this. I'm spiritually strong. I just need to be in the Word more. Whatever it is. Paul is coming out here and saying, hey, guys, pray, pray they accept this gift. Pray they accept it. Boy, one of the toughest things for me as a pastor is when you see somebody struggling maybe spiritually, emotionally, or physically, and, and we have the tools and resources to help, and they choose not to. Boy, you can't do anything about that. But you hope they will humble themselves enough to say, okay, this path I'm going on isn't working out. Let the body of Christ minister to the body of Christ. Think about that. If you're a note-taker, there's those four points. Let's practically help each other. Let's minister to one another. Let's pray for one another, and let's be willing to accept it when we need it as well. 
Do you know what the result of this is? The result of this, verse 29. But I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. You will be blessed. There is a tremendous joy in seeing the body of Christ come and serve and love together. I love it. When somebody comes up to me and they're just talking about how they were helping this other person out, oh man, that just makes me so blessed and so happy. The body of Christ serving. A situation not too long ago where someone had a surgery, I contacted them and said, hey, if you want to, I can get a hold of the food ministry and they can get some meals around. And the person said, oh no, not need. It's some few people from church already said they'll take care of the meals. Amen. Just let the body of Christ minister. Go do a hospital visit. And like, yeah, someone's already popped in and called. Amen. Look at the body of Christ is serving. And what a blessing that is when that all comes together. And there's such a joy in seeing the body of Christ. Rich and I were just talking on the phone, uh, I think it was yesterday, and we just talked about what a blessing it is to go do something. To go do something, to feel like, wow, Lord, we just did something for you and your glory to further the kingdom and just to proclaim Jesus' name. Man, it's just a, Lord, I am blessed to do that. What's the result of that blessing? Verse 32, that I come with you joy that I may come to you with joy by the will of God. There is a joy being in God's will and saying, this is what I'm supposed to be doing, knowing where I'm called, going where I'm called. Now, remember, joy is not based on circumstances. Happiness is based on circumstances. My second son, Judah, has got a birthday coming up. It will be a happy day. Will it be joyful? I sure hope so. There will be a lot of happiness. Birthdays are happy. Joy, though, says no matter what's going on, physically, emotionally, spiritually, there's still a joy in the Lord. Nehemiah says the joy of the Lord is your strength. If the joy isn't there in your life spiritually, guess what? The strength's not going to be there. If you see somebody struggling and they just look weak spiritually, I'm willing to bet they don't have a lot of joy. And so often we base our joy on what is happening around us, where joy is not based on that. Let me stress this. It's not based on circumstances. It's based on Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. It's based on you knowing him and knowing him personally. And look at this joy right here. By the will of God, you know when you're in God's will, there's a joy. And when you run into things that you're not in God's will, usually the joy's not there because you're trying to do the square peg round hole. It just doesn't work. And then what also happens when everything is clicking, look at verse 33, excuse me, verse 32, we're refreshed together. Refreshed. Fellowship. God has designed us as a group animal. He uses the example that we are sheep, a group animal, that we are stronger when we're together. As I mentioned earlier in the message, there are no solo Christians There's no island Christians. Christianity is not something you do by yourself. You're saved through Christ, and then what happens, you're part of the body of Christ. You know, there's a great passage in Isaiah that says, Woe to him who warms himself by the fire alone. There's a danger in trying to go about this by yourself. Dare we say that becomes that pride thing again. We're designed to be this group animal. And what a blessing is when it all comes together. Kind of a long story, but I just want to share with you. It's been about 15-plus years ago. I got a phone call from someone in the community saying that there was a, uh, a couple that was really struggling with stuff. So they said, can you get involved with them and start ministering to them? So I went over to their house and started talking to them, and they were both heavily into drugs, heavily into alcohol, and just a lot of issues, a lot of problems. 
Well, they started coming out to church, started ministering to them, getting to know them a little bit, but they were still having these ups and downs. So one night they had a real bad night. Cops were called. Next thing you know, he's in uh, jail. So I get a call from the wife saying, he's over at uh, CCNO. Can you go get him and everything? And I said, yeah, I can go get him. So I drove over there to get him. Now, it's like what you see in the movies. You go into the main office there and you say, hey, I'm here to pick up so-and-so. And they said, okay, drive over to this gate and they'll let him go. And so you go over to the gate and you wait. And these huge doors just open up really slowly. you know. And they open up. And next thing you know, just this one individual just comes walking out. Now, he has no shoes on, no socks on, no shirt on. So where it says no shirt, no shoes, no service, that doesn't apply to jail. I'm just letting you know that. <laughs> you can't arrest me. I don't have a shirt on. No, I can still arrest you. So he comes out. That's how he, so he comes out, no shirt, no nothing, and I just like, okay, we're going home. So the whole way home, we're just talking. This isn't working. What are you going to do here, man? So we get to his house. Now his wife and him are not allowed to be around each other. So she left the house because he was coming home, but she locked up the house. Now, I've shared this story with you before real quick. So we get to his house, and the house is all locked up. And I thought, what are we going to do? I don't want this guy to come to my house. You know, I mean, love of Jesus here, but what are we going to do? He goes, oh, don't worry about it goes over to the window and just one, two, three, pops the window open. He goes right in. True story. I'm not making this up in any way whatsoever. He pops the window open. He crawls in the house. He goes, did I ever tell you I did time for breaking and entering? (laughs) Nope, never told me that. So I saw how to get into a house now. Um, I just need to find somebody who did time for hot wiring her car, and I got it all set. He goes in, and we start hanging out. I said, listen, we're going to start picking you up for church. You're going to start on a regular basis coming out. So he started coming out. And really just got a chance to know him and love this guy. Just absolutely love him. So anyway, fast forward a little bit. We had a uh, softball time after one Sunday service. A group of us got up to Hamlin. We were going to go play softball. So this guy came to church with us. We brought him to church, brought him home, ate lunch with us, took him over to softball, played softball with him, and just had a great time. Took him back home later that Sunday afternoon. I'll never forget this. He told me as we dropped him off. He said, I never knew I could have so much fun being sober. And that really hit me. For the first time, this guy saw fellowship. He saw joy. He saw the blessing of what it means to be part of something, to be part of the body of Christ. See, there's a lot of times when we mention the blessing of fellowship, people say, yeah, that ain't there. I know what you churches are like. You just want my money. I know what you churches are like. Pastors are hypocrites and they're stumbling and falling all over the place. And so what happens is, we have this taste in our mouth of what we think a real relationship with Christ is. I've tried the God thing. I've tried the church thing. I've read my Bible. See, I think you've tasted things that aren't the real deal. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. When you really taste a real relationship with Christ and what church really is, you see the joy, the refreshing, and the blessing of it. But if you have this stuff that is just a fake simile or some prideful come-to-our-church type of thing, it won't be there. Because real honest-to-goodness fellowship is, gosh, I just love you and you just love me. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's just encourage each other, edify each other, help each other, minister to each other. But the problem is we have tasted other ideas, and that's what we think it is. I used this example before. I've used this before about the idea of, of rhubarb. I hate rhubarb absolutely hate it. It's, the, it's a weed that grows around buildings, and you guys cut it, and then you eat it, and you're like, oh, it's great. No, it's not. It's awful. <laughs> but, you know, and the thing is, the way you make rhubarb taste good is by what? You just dump tons of sugar on it. 
So for you that come up and say, oh, I love rhubarb. No, you don't. You love sugar. And what happens is, since you love sugar, you feel better about eating it now because you just put a little bit of some supposed vegetable plant with it. And I'm just going to tell you right now, don't do this to me. Every time I use the example of rhubarb, one of you comes up, you've never had my rhubarb. Your rhubarb will taste just as awful as everybody else's rhubarb. It tastes awful. And so what happens is, I've had this. I've tasted it. It's awful. I don't need to taste it again. See, but the thing is, have we tasted the real thing? See, Dawn does this to our boys. She read somewhere sometime that uh, growing boys, that their taste buds change. And so sometimes you try a food, and you know what? Things change a little bit. Maybe you'll like it at a different time. So she'll try these different foods with the boys, and she'll go give it to them. And the boys will say, we've already had this before. We tried it. We didn't like it. Dawn says, well, sometimes taste buds change. So the boys look at me. I say, I'm not trying it. I, I'm 38. My taste buds have matured. I know what I like. I know what I don't like. And I don't need to try it. So full circle, don't bring me rhubarb next Sunday, okay? But how often have we had this picture of Christianity or Christ, and it's just, it's not the real deal. And then we wonder why the world, the non-believing world, looks at church and Christianity and has such a sour taste in their mouth. And are we really representing Christ the way he's supposed to be represented? So that way, when I say to someone, taste and see that the Lord is good. Do you really know what that means to have a real relationship with Christ? Because so often we're promoting something else. We're promoting a pastor or we're promoting a church. We're promoting a program. No, let's promote Jesus Christ. And then when we promote him, you will taste and see that the Lord is good. I heard a pastor tell me years ago at a pastor's conference, he says, pastors, quit worrying about trying to get people to come to your church. He goes, let the Holy Spirit convict and let the Holy Spirit bring people. That's between them and the Lord. They need to taste and see that the Lord is good. Your job is just to love those that show up and then obviously minister to those that are sick or hurting or maybe, you know, falling away. But, you know, be careful about that. And I thought, wow, that's the truth. I don't have to sell Jesus. Can you imagine having a God that you had to sell? Now, let me tell you why my God's better than your God. God does a pretty good job of selling himself. He says, just look outside, see creation. He goes, that's my biggest selling point right there. He says that in Romans 1, if you want to know I exist. He says, let me tell you about unconditional love. Let me tell you about peace that surpasses all understanding. Let me tell you about forgiveness of sins. That's a pretty good selling point right there. Jesus does a good job of that. My job is to promote Christ. My job is to point people towards Christ. So that way when they taste and see that the Lord is good, amen. Now, part of that encouragement comes from the body of Christ. Once again, God has designed us as a group animal. You know, Psalm 133 Psalm 133 says, How blessed is it when the brethren dwell together in unity. What a blessing it is that when the church is unified to see the gospel of Christ spread. Our energy is spent into those things rather than fighting about little things. Or Psalm 122 says this, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Because there's a time of blessing, of worship and teaching and fellowship. I, I tell you, Saturday nights are really rough for me. Because, you know, I got the message done, I, I'm ready for it, I'm prepared. And you kind of just sit there and twiddle your thumbs. And you're just like, okay, let's just go. And Sunday mornings are rough. I'm up and I'm ready to go. But as soon as I get out to church and, you, and the services start, it's like, this is just the best time of the week. 
It's just talking to people and meeting people and loving them and getting to teach God's word. What a blessing that is. Let us go into the house of the Lord. Amen. Let's have that fellowship. So putting this all together, what does practical Christianity look like? Well, verses 24, 26, and 27 says I'm supposed to help people. What does that look like for you personally? I can't answer that question. I don't know what gifts and abilities God has blessed you with, but I do know this. Those gifts and abilities can be used to help other people. I do know that without a shadow of a doubt. And I just encourage you, pick up that directory. Pray through it. Look through it. Be open as you come to church on a Sunday or a Wednesday. Keep your eyes and ears open. Lord, who can I help? Who, just listen. What's going on that I can be a help to? Next word, minister. Who can I serve? Who can I pray for? Who can I give? Who can I help? Who can I encourage? Who can I edify? Who can I spiritually be there for? How about just prayer? Just praying for the body of Christ, rejoicing with those who rejoice, weeping with those who weep, struggling together, striving together in prayer. You know, one of my favorite things we do is Wednesday nights after church. You know, a lot of you know that we used to have that time of prayer requests on Wednesday nights. And we changed this about half a year ago. We're now on Wednesday nights. We just get together after Wednesday night. And we just have the circle up. And whoever has something they want to pray for, let's just pray for it. Anoint with oil and pray. Just let the Spirit lead there. It's a beautiful time of just oneness of saying, Lord, we want to give these to you together. And then also, accepting the help when I need it. If I'm struggling with something, Lord, help me bring the right people to my life that I can be blessed by them. The result of that, you're blessed, verse 29. You have joy, verse 32. And you're refreshed, verse 32. It's a beautiful thing when it all comes together and to God be the glory. I guess what I want to finish with this is Galatians 6.10 says this, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of the faith. Wow, opportunities to do good to all. What a blessing that is. Now, what I want to finish with here, as we get ready to partake of communion, is a time just to really come to the Lord and celebrate what communion is. You know, I heard a pastor teach one time, Communion is the closest we can get to the cross to really understand what Jesus went through. And communion is so important that Jesus himself said he would not partake of it until he could partake of it with us again. What I want to do with this, though, is before we get ready to get into communion and really just focus on what Christ did for us and glorify that and celebrate that, it says this in 1 Corinthians. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Before we partake of communion, I think it's always important to have a time of, of self-examination. Now, real quick, you know, if you're new to the church here at Harvest, we have what is called an open communion policy. We don't have church membership if you're here today, and you're part of the body of Christ. We want you to partake of this. Now, two things with that. First off, number one, we feel it's important at this time to explain what does it mean to be part of the body of Christ? Part of the body of the Christ means simply this, that you've accepted Christ as your Savior. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you shall be saved. Isn't that a beautiful verse? For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. By God's grace, God giving you something we didn't deserve. Isn't that a blessing? There's a heaven, and there's a hell. Heaven is where the Lord lives, and that's where we want to spend all of eternity. But the problem is I have sinned, and since I have sinned, I now have a debt that I cannot pay. I'm incapable of paying this debt. There's no way. There's none. My good works, no, there's nothing. There's absolutely nothing that can pay this debt off. And so what happens is when Jesus came down to die on the cross, he says, James, I'll take care of that debt for you. I'll pay it for you. 
And what has happened is when I accept that payment of my sins, the doors of heaven are now open because of Christ and Christ alone. Now, do we accept that? Do we believe that? Number two, if you are here this morning and you are saved, amen. There's a time of self-examination, the Bible says. Psalm 139 says, Search me and try me, O Lord, and see if there's any iniquity in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. This is a good time to stop and say, Lord, I want to be everything for you. I want to be that man, that woman of God you've called me to be. I'm struggling with this. There's a time of self-examination to give these things over to the Lord. So what we're going to do right now is just have a moment of prayer, and we're going to give this to him. Heavenly Father, as we get ready to partake of this communion, Lord, we do this time of self-examination. If there's someone here that does not know you, they've never fully grasped and understood the concept of sin and salvation, I pray that, Lord, right now you're speaking to their hearts, that they would choose to accept your free gift, not on anything they have done, but just because you love them, Lord. Thank you. And, Lord, if there's people here today that know you and love you, but spiritually, we're not where we're supposed to be, Lord. Search us, try us, know our anxieties, know our sins, and lead us in the way of everlasting. We come to you, we confess, and we ask for your hand of grace and mercy. Let's just go to the Lord quietly and privately and give everything to him. Lord, it's easy at this time just to feel completely, utterly overwhelmed. But Lord, you're a God of grace and mercy. And that's what we want to celebrate here as we partake communion, is what you did for us. It's all about you, Lord. Thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy in your name. Amen. The guys that want to be partaking of communion would come forward.